Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team oh one and that's lined into right field playing it on the bounce now is reddick trying to score is gamble the throw to the plate the slide and gamble is out outfield assist for josh reddick and the inning comes to an end Boy, what a rocket from right field a gamble for sure third base coach sending gamble but taking a chance against garrett cole because he's been so good this year but reddick took care of him Mariners strand two. Pitch on the way, and that's hit high in the air and pretty deep to left field. Going back on his Fisher on the warning track at the wall. Reaches up, and he caught it. He reached over the wall and took a home run away from Segura. And the inning draws to a close. What a play by Derek Fisher. Kind of a deep move to his pitcher, Garrett Cole, and he stole it. This is another Astros podcast. Well, I'm with A.J. Hinch, the manager of the Astros, before the fourth game of this four-game series with Seattle. And like a lot of times in the postseason last year, good defensive plays seemed to spark the offense last night. Yeah, it was nice to see. And, and, and that game was sort of teetering on who was going to make a big play, who was going to get a big hit, who was going to break out and and do something. And I'm glad it was our guys. Derek Fisher made, the, I mean, made a great play and yeah. left. Josh Reddick makes a great throw from right. And all of a sudden, we get four or five hits in a row, and, and we look up, we have a comfortable win, which is kind of standard operation of how we can how we can, can win. We haven't seen that a ton quite yet in the first couple of weeks, but um, what a great night for us. A lot of times in those big innings, there's a walk involved, and there's a leadoff walk yesterday, a hit by pitch, things of that nature where patience pays off for this team. It does, and, and we can, you know, when you give us extra base runners, or it's similar to you give us extra outs, we, we can we can get really dangerous, and, and it's why on the reverse we try to limit that as much as possible. We always talk about 90 feet, so when teams uh, give us a little bit of a, of a window to open things up, and we can we can put the barrel in the ball like we did last night, um, you see we can score from anywhere in the, in the, in the order. AJ, with Charlie Morton pitching today, is there any way you can explain the progression he's made as a major league pitcher at this age? You know, he, he's really transformed himself into um, a little bit of a different style by, by, by pitch usage. You know, there's, he's always had great stuff. He's had the high-end velocity. Uh, people called him like a sinker slider guy when he broke in. Now, all of a sudden, he has the bigger breaking ball. He throws the elevated fastball. He has a cutter for left-handers. So he's added some pitches, but he's using his pitches correctly, which is something that we talk about all the time around here. It doesn't matter what weapons you have. If you don't use them correctly, uh, then the hitters aren't impacted by it. So what I mean by that is a few more breaking balls to lefties, curveballs, not so many down and away fastballs, which is a comfortable arm side miss for him. 
Um, he stays with high-end velocity inside against lefties, the breaking ball uh, for strike, the breaking ball below the zone, and that's the approach he's going to take today against a predominantly left-handed lineup. Hey, you told me a funny story uh, this winter in front of some of the season ticket holders about Charlie, Game 7 of the World Series. You like what you saw, so you sent him to the plate. Yeah, so I, in, 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 in Game 7 of the World Series, I, once we put Morton in the game, um, you know, Brent Strom asked me, like, hey, you know, what's your plan? And I'm like, Charlie Morton in the seventh, Charlie Morton in the eighth, Charlie Morton in the ninth. So <laughs> I, we really wanted him to finish the game. And so his at bat was coming up in the eighth inning. And Charlie's got a very dry sense of humor. Yeah. He, he doesn't. Um, he doesn't he doesn't pitch with a ton of emotion. He also is very, very stoic and, and dry-witted. So um, when I told him he was going to go up and hit, I said, I don't want you to swing. I just want you to stand as far back in the box as you can. No swings. And he looked at me in deadpan and said, but then I'll strike out. <laughs> and I said, I know, and I, and I want you to strike out. So he goes up to the batter's box. He moves all the way back in the box. Alex Wood still on the mound for the Dodgers. He had a 1-2-3 eighth inning. And he'll face Charlie Morton to lead things off. They probably told Charlie not to even swing. 0-2, breaking ball in there for strike three. Morton doesn't take the bat off his shoulder, goes down on three pitches. He takes three strikes, and he comes by, and as he's walking by, top of the ninth, he turns to me and he says, I told you. <laughs> so, I mean, he, he, he is such a fun uh, guy to have around who, who is, um, I think on our team, one of the most influential players that people don't talk about. Really? I mean, personality-wise? Yeah, just the way he goes about it, the, the people, people root for him. He's battled injury after injury right. after injury, and he's persevered through it. Uh, nobody appreciates being on a, on a multi-year deal more than he does. Nobody appreciates his family more than he does, and, and, and he's an easy guy to root for. Marco Gonzalez pitching for Seattle today. What do you have to do? We have to stay in the strike zone. You know, he, he can scuffle around the strike zone a little bit. Okay. He's, he's not uh, always confident in the strike zone. If you get into hitters counts, he, he does nibble a little bit. He throws backwards a little bit. Um, he's a comfortable at bat, which is not to disrespect him, but it's to it's, our guys are going to feel like they can hit a lot of different pitches, so we've got to pick a good one to swing out. When you say comfortable at bat, I think of a guy that doesn't pitch inside much. Yeah, he doesn't pitch inside a ton. He also doesn't have high-end velocity. And, you know, it used to be, okay. you know, 90-92 was, was a good fastball. Now yeah. that's turned into a very comfortable at bat, and we're yeah. talking more like 95-96. So um, he will try to make some movement and cut it a little bit. He'll change up a little bit. Um, but when we're, when we're in the strike zone, we can do some damage. All right, A.J., good luck today. You got Sparky. The pitching has been outstanding. Last Mariner base runner was Mitch Hanniger. He singled in the fourth inning. 16 straight retired by Astros pitchers. Here's the 1-2. Swing and a miss. Struck him out on a fastball up and away, and that is the ball game. Houston Astros, a six-run seventh inning. Propels them to a 7-1 win in Seattle as the Astros have won back-to-back games at Safeco Field. Welcome back. Robert Ford joined by Scott Service, manager of the Seattle Mariners and uh, and our Astro originally to start your, your baseball career. You were drafted by the Astros in 1988 in the third round out of Creighton and made your big league debut with the Astros in, in 1991. I know it was, a, it was a long time ago in a different era of Astros baseball, but I'm sure you're appreciative of the Astros giving you a chance to start your uh, professional career. Oh, no doubt. I think you always go back to the original team that drafted you and got you going in the pro game. And Fortunate enough for me, I was drafted by the Astros uh, really at a point in their organization they 
we're starting to do things a little bit differently and really we're doing a great job drafting. I was in the same draft class with Luis Gonzalez. Mm -hmm. I played with Gonzo for a few years before we both got traded to Chicago. But, uh, you know, and, and there was a group of players coming along that were just reaching the big league level and some of us in the minor league still hoping to get with them. Obviously, Bidge was in there and, and Caminetti were the main guys. But, you know, you start bringing in, you know, the Bagwell grouping, Daryl Kyle, myself, Gonzo, uh, you know, Pete Harnish, uh, Mike Hampton, Shane Reynolds. You can go on and on. A really an interesting time in Astros baseball. And uh, I thought it was a time where, you know, they were kind of going into the rebuild mode, but it mm -hmm. didn't take long. They had very talented players. They had a very good group of coaches and player development people and a really good scouting eye to kind of put it all together. It was a fun time in Astros baseball. Now, you came up for the first time in 1991. You were on the opening day roster in 1992, sharing time behind the play with Eddie Taubin. See, that was the year that, as most Astros fans know, Craig Biggio moved from behind the plate and started playing second base. So I guess we were part of what made that happen. So on behalf of Astros fans everywhere, thank you. No, I, I appreciate <laughs> Craig making the move. Uh, it actually happened the last three games of the season in 1991. Mm -hmm. uh, Craig had never really worked out, and, and we were not having a great year. It was totally in a rebuild mode. I had come up halfway through the year in 91, and the last three games, or right towards the end of the season, we were playing a three-game series in San Francisco, and Matt Galante uh, was a great coach, a longtime Astros coach and employee, uh, you know, was really tight with Craig, and they sat down and talked about moving to second base, and lo and behold, he just showed up one day, he was taking some ground balls, they showed him how to turn a double play, and he was in the lineup that night. Uh, he played three games over in San Francisco. We went to the Atlanta. That was the year that the Braves first started their run in 1991. And mm -hmm. because they were still playing in, in a playoff race or whatever, uh, Bidge went back behind the plate for a couple games there. And then, uh, uh, but that's kind of where it all started at the end of 91, went into 92. Uh, thankful for me, uh, it was a great call uh, by the Astros, obviously, and, and for Craig's career. But it gave me a chance to play as well. Another guy that you got to see early in his Astros career was Jeff Bagwell, who won Rookie of the Year in 91. You were his teammate for, for, for all of 92. I mean, obviously, you can't ever predict that somebody's going to be a Hall of Famer, but what were some of the things you saw in Jeff Bagwell early, early in his career that maybe told you, hey, this, this guy's pretty special? I think that when they made the trade for Bags, um, it was late in the year, I believe, in 1990. Mm -hmm. And uh, he reported to Instruction League, and I was in that Instruction League that year. And uh, he stood out right away. You could see the, the unbelievable ability he had. And didn't know he'd hit as many home runs as he ended up doing because he wasn't a great home run hitter in the minor leagues. Right. But great understanding of the game, uh, the strike zone, about you know what his swing did. It was unique. And yeah. a lot of people said, is this really going to work? But getting the no bags and the competitor he was and how smart a baseball mind that he had, you know, you knew it was going to all click, and it certainly did. I mean, he took off in 91 and just everything else from there. You know, there was a few struggles. I think people look back. I remember one time in, in early, might have been 92, he was off to a slow start, and people were like, ah, is this guy for real? And there's no question. Uh, Jeff's one of the, the best players and, and teammates I ever had. You were part of one of the greatest moments in Astros history in 93 when you caught Daryl Kyle's no-hitter at the Astrodome against the Mets. And I know you and Daryl Kyle uh, were, were, were pretty close. What do you remember about that game? What do you remember about that night? Well, Daryl and I were very close, uh, probably one of my best friends in the game. Uh, it was tough to see him uh, leave us as, as early as he did. But, you know, going back in your career, there's always certain games that stick out. The no-hitter I caught with Daryl that night against the Mets was awesome. Uh, you know, a lot of great plays in the game. I think Caminetti made a great diving play. I think Andahar Sedania might have made a great play at shortstop that night. Uh, you know, pretty cool, you know, going through the end of that game with him. Uh, we always had it. was very good friends, but always a rivalry at some point. You know, he was going to be smarter than me or I was going to put the <laughs> wrong pitch down. But uh, it worked out great. 
great. Uh, it was a lot of fun to go through something like that. And so a memory I'll never forget. They always talk about the pressure on a pitcher when a no-hitter is going on. Is there pressure on a catcher, too? Well, you, you want to, you know, help him along best you can. And in most cases, he's got a, you know, in Daryl's case, it was curveball. He had a great curveball. He had it really going on that night. And, uh, you know, you didn't want to get beat with anything other than your best pitch. And, right. you know, he stayed with the curveball predominantly that, that game. A lot of strikeouts, I remember. But, you know, there's points in the game where, you know, the shakeoff comes and you put the same number down again. And oftentimes it was the curveball that night. But, uh, you know, uh, I know DK meant a lot to all of us, the entire group that came together together in Houston were very tight and he was a big part of it. Scott Service, Mariners manager, thank you so much for joining us and, and reminiscing a little bit. No, no problem. Glad to do it. Robert Ford. Back at the wall looking up. A three-run home run for Jose Altuve. Steve Sparks. These fans are ringside at one of the best boxing matches they'll ever see. The Houston Astros on your radio all summer long. Okay. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.